Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Ruskin. I'm the deputy director here at Citizen Action. Welcome to a beautiful fall get out the vote weekend. We have with us Robert Craig. He's the executive director here at Citizen Action. Robert, good to have you this weekend. Good morning. Happy election homestretch. That's right. It is, uh, it's get out the vote uh, uh, time, Robert. Uh, early voting started this week. Have you have you had a chance to vote, Robert? Did you get out early? Have you voted absentee, Robert? What's your, what's your plan to vote, Robert? I plan to vote early, but I've been too busy to vote yet. So uh, I will soon, and let's hope we, but well, we have to be prepared for Arizona-like stuff. Not only the weird, well, I guess our courts, our right-wing courts got rid of the drop boxes, but the stake out of the drop boxes, and then the news Thursday morning is, is that the Demo- the offices of the Democratic candidate for governor, Katie Hobbs, have been broken into. So it's all hell is breaking loose in Arizona, and it certainly could in Wisconsin. So we need to be prepared. But listeners, it is important. We often think, especially if you're, shall we say, of an older age, over, over the age of 40, maybe, or 35, we, we think of election day. And really often still think of this in, hey, we vote on that second third, second Tuesday in November. Well, it, that's not really the case anymore. Thank you to COVID and just uh, other states, uh, certainly Oregon. There were a number of other states that have evolved in more early voting. But, Robert, we are definitely now that state. And certainly after back and forth, uh, we have a restricted early voting period, but it's uniform for the most part across the state started this Tuesday. Uh, so really two weeks, but people, you know, listeners, I encourage you to, if you can, to vote early and get involved on election day in helping make sure either people are able to vote easier by being involved at a at a poll site is certainly if your community is having any issues with election workers i'd encourage you to to look at that but more importantly get involved in turning out voters work for a candidate get involved either in party get involved with citizen action we're involved in five different regions around the state will be on election day um, but it's it's important. So I want to encourage you to take advantage of the early vote period and to talk to others about it. Encourage other people to get out, especially people who, you know, may or may not vote right uh, in your networks. Have those conversations. Now's the time. Elections already started. So, yes, that means it's get out the vote time. And Robert, that means we're asking folks also to volunteer. Uh, and get involved in our weekend canvases. Every Saturday, we're out uh, 10 o'clock in most locations. But again, check, and we'll be out, get out the vote weekend next weekend too, uh, in, uh, the November 4th and 5th, and we'll be out Monday and election day too. So please, folks, get involved. Robert, the heavy hitters are in town here in the state, I should say, in town, and in all of our towns around the state, uh, the heavy dem hitters. Uh, Wisconsin is clearly one of the top states uh, for U.S. Senate races. And according to CNN this week, Robert, came out Monday uh, morning, the, the, the Senate race is functionally tied. It had uh, Ron Johnson at 50 and Mandela Barnes at 49, which is certainly well within the margin of error, but demonstrates what we've always said. This is an incredibly close race. And you may ask, how can the polls differ? Well, because different polls have different samples of voters. They are approximating what voters will turn out. They are false if they are wrong, and there is no way for them to be perfectly right. And they've been dreadfully wrong in Wisconsin, especially in 2016 and 2020. So we don't know, and we can change it. If we increase turnout on the Democrat side, then we then the polls are wrong. Even if polls are currently sampling a different way, they're assuming a certain level of Democratic and Republican turnout, and to some degree, they're betting against us to exceed expectations on turnout. So take the polls as a challenge to all of you to prove these pollsters wrong and have a bigger democratic progressive surge than uh, than the MAGA surge. 
And look, this is um this is very real. Um, for folks who study field, you know, from a, a scientific uh, position, they say a really, really good field program at the most at the margins can turn out and move up to six, uh, up to 3%. That's a lot. That's, that's a lot. It might even be an overstretch, but in a state like Wisconsin, it's true because we have same day voter registration, which means we could see 10, 12% folks register at the polls. And that is a lot of our agency and what we do on election day and what we do between now and election day. The last two weeks of an election are also statistically different in terms of get out the vote efforts. It's important to understand that when you have a conversation with someone, um, social scientists, we call it stickiness. How long does this conversation stick around, stay in the brain, have, have an impact? A, a lot of folks think traditional electoral work two weeks is, is at the most in this final part when people can actually go vote. And your conversation could lead them to showing up early voting makes a significantly more difference than maybe if you had a conversation with them a month or two ago. So please, this is a, a really important time to get engaged. Uh, and again, we're going to be in Green Bay. We're going to be in Wausau. We're in Eau Claire. We're in Greenfield. And we're also in Milwaukee. And we have all those details you can find out on them. Please uh, get involved. And of course, we're on the phones every Wednesday night and uh, Sunday afternoon. So please get involved and get involved wherever you can. Can I ask you a clarifying question, Matt? Of course. As our resident in-house field expert, along with our movement politics director, Priscilla Bort, when you say a 3% difference on a field campaign, by field, we mean an in-person campaign to, to bring people out. Do you mean it's an increased 3% performance on your side, which means actually it's a net 6% change? Is that what you mean? You know, that's a good question, Robert. I'm not 100% sure off the top. It's been a while since I've looked at that number. Let's just say it's just 3 Okay. 3%. It, in a race this close, that's like tectonic shift, right? And I'll just say this, as Democrats or progressives, right? If, if we have an advantage, a built-in advantage in what we can do with get out the vote because of our concentration. So what hurts us in gerrymandering and in, in districting and legislative races, the compactness of our vote helps us tremendously in get out the vote. What we do in the city of Eau Claire matters immensely. Folks, there's eight thousand unregistered voters in the city of Eau Claire alone, not even registered. These folks have, you know, <laughs> uh, so there's a huge expandable amount and that doesn't get to the voters who are registered who only vote in presidentials, right? That's thousands more. Every city, every democratic city like Wausau, like La Crosse, like Green Bay, like Gapleton has similar advantages built in where our work can make a huge difference. And by the way, the areas of growth where we're seeing significant growth and we have huge persuasion programs that can go on to election day, people back and forth, especially suburban areas, also very compact, very easy to canvas, increasingly becoming democratic. So folks, what hurts us in this uh, whole stuff with gerrymandering is an advantage and get out the vote, uh, Robert. So we have a greater ability, I think, to impact that movement late than, say, Republicans whose growing base is literally deeply rural areas. Um, so, Robert, that'd be my best answer to it. But again, the the basic point, our, our agency matters tremendously uh, in what this turnout's going to be. Uh, and, and to push through this garbage, Robert, I, I actually want your thoughts on this since you're a communication expert, all this money, all this money being spent, typically that means more money, more interest, voter turnout should be higher because we're, we're sparking interest in, in ads in digital and TV is a major way we mark that. However, the whole point of a lot of negative trash ads is to suppress people's interest in voting and feel it's all gross. What are your thoughts on the thoughts that there's everyone thinks there's likely going to be historic turnout for an off year election because of all the spending, the importance. 
What's your thoughts on these trashy ads actually suppressing the vote and maybe us being surprised and that turnout isn't quite what we thought? I mean, it's all a little bit like the whole betting game on NFL this weekend. Um, we don't, it looks like there's a voter surge, a voter registration surge because of the Hobbes decision taking away a fundamental right uh, for women in our country and for everyone in terms of impacting their families. So there, and, uh, but it happened a while ago. In other words, we don't know if the effect is dissipating uh, we and polling is too primitive to really measure that, just like it was too primitive to, me to measure what the red hot hatred of MAGA Trumpism in 2016 and 2018 would how many people pit with peasants with pitchforks would come out that, that were never expected to vote. So the answer is we don't know. We need to operate within things we can control. And it is a very good thing to be engaged in field operations. And it is not all that helpful to make more comments on social media or other things, right? I mean, there are other helpful things other than going door to door, such as if you have people in your net social networks that might not vote or might be on the fence, you have influence with them. So that would be extremely helpful if you want to make your closing arguments. But whatever you can do to switch votes and the bigger number turnout votes that wouldn't exist otherwise. This is a midterm election. A lot of people don't vote in midterm elections. There's no presidential race on the ballot. So folks, please, please, please get involved. With that though, we're gonna take a break. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. Again, we're citizen action, folks. It's get out the vote weekend. We got two weekends in a row with this early voting period. Uh, we're talking the election, Robert. We've talked a lot about issues. We've talked a lot about healthcare. Um, we have talked a lot about climate change, but I wanted to get your thoughts on the issue further because um, before the break, I mentioned to you, I asked for your comments about the, the ads, which have been mostly trashy and quite frankly, devoid of any real content on issues outside of, I guess, if you want to say uh, 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 crime and just sort of general nastiness. And, you know, the, the pressing issue of climate change has kind of not really been seriously discussed. Um, and I, there was a great article in the American Prospect that had some great new polling data that demonstrates something that you've been talking about a lot, and that is that this is this issue's changed radically uh, in the last decade uh, in terms of its deep support and the public much better understanding that we got a real crisis and we need to have action, uh, and how that fares versus people's immediate concerns around just energy and the cost of energy, which is certainly a driving force behind uh, inflation, as uh, Dr. Rosen told us last week. Robert, uh, tell us more about this article and just the research and why it is, it, it's a missed opportunity, quite frankly, that this has not been much more center for particularly Democrats. This is a really well-respected pollster, Stanley Greenberg, who was Bill Clinton's top pollster, okay? He has become more and more progressive. I think he was more progressive than his boss, even the 90s, but he now does a lot of his writing for American Prospect, a really good progressive magazine people should, should monitor at their website. Uh, he shows that there are super majorities for climate being understood and being a top issue. And we had earlier Paul W. Madison showing at the top issue in Wisconsin, including Democrats, including independents, including moderate Republicans, though there's some differences on solutions. And furthermore, since the climate crisis is understood and people understand it can't think it can be fixed if we act, do not think it's unlikely, do not think, except for the, you know, the very conservative base. Don't think that there's nothing we can do, which is what we hear from Ron Johnson, Tim Michaels, in addition to doubting it's true. They're way outliers, okay? And that the top issue in this election, the cost of issue, 
uh, cost of living, that climate is a great answer to that because people do believe that increasing efficiency and renewable energy will lower the cost. And why on earth, when you hear Democrats talk about it, including top particular the state, they say they're, they're better on climate, they're working on climate. Well, it's not, they don't lead with it, but it comes up, say, in a debate, and the other one doesn't. But they don't really lean in on the connection there, that golden connection between how much more expensive fossil fuels are, and if you add to that, how much more vulnerable we are to foreign tyrants and uh, and also just uh, commodity markets where where the, the, the price, that's why drilling more oil doesn't help at all because Saudi Arabia can lower production themselves and make sure the price is still the same. So you have a global market, no matter where it's produced, and that's what the energy companies, the fossil fuel companies, will sell at. And that's why their profit rates have gone astronomical in this crisis as they created an affordability crisis, not only for their own consumers, but for elected leaders. Robert, you know, one thing as I read this article and I've been thinking about this issue and I do feel like climate change has is, is, is changed radically during COVID and during the pandemic. And it's and it, it was interesting because during the pandemic, a lot of climate, you know, people who cared about climate were like, yo, yo, like, you know, hey, I know everyone's obsessed about COVID right now, but like the climate represents a far greater risk to society and impending, you know, uh, need of focus and similar attention that it's not getting. Um, that is correct. However, I think the pandemic, I can say it for myself. I, if, if people had some sort of sense that we're like this civilized world is at all, immune or in you know not vulnerable to to our own you know mistakes and failings and i think everyone can see covid is we can see our own agency and how uh, uh something like covid can start and spread right and then our agency and allowing it to spread that it got more people i think to take climate a, a lot more seriously and realize oh my right like and realize that like if covid could do this to our economy right what is climate change going to do? And then you see what's been happening in terms of the incidents we've been experiencing across the globe. It's getting many more people. We talk about it in rural areas, the flooding, you know, the hundred year flood that's happening everywhere. And, you know, almost every year in Wisconsin and other areas, you know, in the driftless and throughout uh, it's become much more real for people. And I think the, this data demonstrates that. And I do think there is a lost opportunity here. Um, but I, I admit it's understandable given just we're swimming in a sewage sea of ads just, that have defined I, I, the debate. I just think, and I know some people don't like when I say this, I just think a lot of the folks who advise Democrats and do their polling are just not ver don't aren't adaptive. They they use their old toolkit. And I just do not understand. I don't understand why they're not linking climate and the cost of energy, because they're both big issues together. They're two of the biggest issues. I also don't understand why their, their message on crime isn't better related to guns. They kind of treat guns as a separate issue in there, rather than saying, look, we are supercharging the problem with crime by arming everyone. Yes. So that thing, and, and, and they want to do that. And they're doing that and they're causing a crime wave and police officers will tell you that. And, but why, these are pretty simple things. I'm not suggesting some complicated academic analysis of how we change the paradigm. I'm talking about working within their paradigm of basically what hits home to people. Well, well look, Robert, I think this is connected to a further strand of discussion that's going on right now around what happened to talking about the economy and the infrastructure, the Inflation Reduction Act and all the things that we passed that are historic in nature and actually start addressing this, these things in concrete ways, right? Like, look, Robert, you know, my kid races motorcycles on Facebook. I run in a lot of circles with people that are very conservative. I got conservative people online. Hey, uh, checking out, wanting to know if people have put solar up on their house. I see there's 
you know, tax rebates now and similar questions about electric vehicles from conservatives, you know, and so <clears throat> like these are benefits of things that were passed and like become very tangible and real if we're talking about, you know, $7,000 for an electric vehicle that you get a rebate, things like that. Um, so I do think like this stuff, there's, there's things that have been left on the table to, to say the least. Yes. And Lord, if you think about this, this is going to set up our next guest, Matt. Yeah. If you think about the energy burden on low income people and especially uh, communities of color, because in Milwaukee, black folks are forced into the least energy efficient housing, have the lowest incomes, and they therefore have unaffordable proportions of their income that are supposed to go to utilities. No wonder they have to choose between utility cutoffs and, uh, and you know, not paying the utility bill or paying their rent or meeting other basic needs. So we're going to get to that. I just, one little remark on polling, Matt, I looked up the Marquette poll from October, 2016. Do you wish to hazard a guess uh, what in the presidential, what when I looked at registered voters and um, likely voters, same number actually, what was the margin for who in the presidential and then in the U.S. Senate race? In other words, plus, plus one, plus two. What's what was it? I, I Okay. Uh, for Hillary Clinton, plus six over Trump. Right. In both registered voters and likely Trump won, right? Uh Feingold plus one over Johnson and both registered voters and likely voters. Six points too. Yeah, so exactly. So just telling you folks, do not let the polls be a self-fulfilling prophecy. They don't know. They're guessing and they're, they're overselling their wares. And the media is made, it's easier for them just to report the polls than to actually report the issues in the race and do that. Well, Robert, Robert, we got to go to break, but I don't, we don't want to get into the media. I, they have blood on their hands. They're the ones that are profiting off these ads that they run, right? Like, and then do a disservice on the lack that they, oh, I've seen some TV stations get around. Oh, there's a lot about crime and cash bail in the news. I'm like, it's not in the news. It's all, it's trashing all over your airwaves at your humongous profit and doing a grave disservice to democracy about what, for example, cash bail even is. But we digress. We have to go. <laughs> we have to take a break and get on to actually uh, solving problems that matter. Uh, folks, uh, you're listening to The Battleground Wisconsin. Again, we're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to The Battleground Wisconsin. Again, we're Citizen Action. Folks, you can find us all over the socials. We are super fortunate to have a guest with us. It is Antonio Butts. He is the executive director of Walnut Way here in Milwaukee. Antonio, thank you for joining us. Absolutely. Good morning. Good morning, gentlemen. Well, we're thrilled to have you because uh, you all at Walnut Way have done something very, very important uh, in the name of equity, justice, and a whole bunch of other things around intervening in what is an outrageous 13 to 13.8% rate hike for We Energies. Antonio, tell us more. First of all, thank you again for coming on about Walnut Way, who you are, right? And then why y'all intervened in this uh, rate hike? Yeah, thanks, Matt. So I'm again, I'm Antonio Butts, Executive Director over at Walnut Way Conservation Corporation. And Walnut Way is a, a resident-led neighborhood organization right on the near north side of Milwaukee. It's the first neighborhood you come into when you come in <clears throat> um, on the north side, coming on Fond du Lac Avenue or, or Highway 43. And uh, we're 20 years old as an organization, and our organization was really founded and grounded around some of um, that symbolism around the great migration of folks from the south to the north. And because of all of the, the, the transition that we've seen over, you know, <clears throat> several decades with demanufacturing and, and a lot of other things, you know, a lot of erosion happened in the neighborhood and really wasn't an economic engine and so on and so forth. So 20 years ago, the organization um, got going and we really focused on three main things, community engagement, environmental stewardship and, and economic development. And so the community engagement is really built around this ideal of resident-led. So it's always process over product. Everything flows through the residents. 
and we drive and build resident leadership and capacity. And we do that through everybody's gifts and talents, a way for everybody to get to know each other and then know each other from you know the value that we add. But the other one in our name, environmental stewardship, is we always have used sort of the built environment, vacant lots, um, restoring property to, to, to catalyze community engagement and get folks involved. And so that's always been a big part of what we do. And, and over the years, we've developed a couple social enterprises around that. We have a landscaping company really deeply involved in green infrastructure work and, and stormwater management. And then that last one, economic development is again, all about individual household standard of living and then also the overall community in terms of economic uh development opportunity investment so on and so forth the walkability of the neighborhood and all of those things but you know about five years ago we we re-upped our plan and came together just to reprioritize and one of the big things that came out was for us to do bigger broader advocacy work across the city that really tied together all of these neighborhoods that were really next to each other contiguous that shared all of the same issues and so the big issue that came out front and center was energy affordability and so now it looks like probably almost seven months ago we requested to intervene um, to the public service commission and we were afforded that opportunity in addition we also were provided with intervener compensation to do so and so here we are today in the middle of a, a pretty controversial issue that's coming to the awareness of a lot more folks than it has been, you know, over previous years. And we know that's for a number of reasons. Robert. Thanks a lot for jo joining us, Antonio. And as you know, we are part of a coalition uh, that's behind you on this. You guys are the, are, are the lead. It's called the Me Energies, as opposed to We Energies, Affordable Energy Now Movement. Sierra Club is in it, Clean Wisconsin, Cisnesh, Wisconsin, Wisconsin Health Professionals for Climate Action, and of course, Walnut Way Conservation Group. So what's interesting is I think you've actually um, shocked, and we all helping you, a Fortune 500 company, right? Because they didn't expect, they used to get in their way. They were supposed, they were set up to be regulating the public interest. There was this idea, oh, We'll have a corporation that's for profit, but we'll regulate them and make sure they operate in the public interest. And of course, they used all the money and power they've built up to take over the regulation. So mm -hmm. we have a flat you know, yeah, system for utility rates, and there's all this back and forth between commercial and residential. So big businesses have it, have the leverage to get lower rates for themselves, and then we're going to put it back on everyone else, and then no change for low-income people who have astronomical energy burdens, six to 20% of their incomes, if you're an African-American Milwaukee, just on utilities, if you can imagine. And I don't think they expected an intervention. I don't think they expected you to have the wherewithal to get it funded uh, by the Public Service Commission, nor do they expect this coalition. And you're, you're pushing for something which I think is great. It's not just, oh, give us a 4% instead of a 6%. It is change the rate so it's adjusted for the ability to pay, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And they don't, they want nothing of that. And they were only asking for six point something percent. Their reaction to this is to come back and double, more than double their ask. So, I mean, did that shock you? And uh, uh, what, do you, what, what was the process like with them? And then, uh, and and you know, they 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 negotiated a side deal with some other groups, and then mm -hmm. Walnut Way and this coalition would not get on board for that, right? Mm -hmm. So, why don't you tell us what you think about this and what went down? Now, they claim they talked to you, right? Yeah. Yeah, geez. yeah, yeah. Thanks, Robert. So, so a little bit of how things have unfolded. Um, we we we've been pretty much on a big learning journey. With the support of like you said you all as a coalition and, and and helping guide us along the way encourage us and basically provide a lot of good guidance based on the experiences that you all have already had and so but what we're learning are a couple of things one is that you know the cost of participation is pretty high and that the average sort of uh, uh citizen right pair uh, maybe even across the state you know it's just they don't have the disposable time or income to be involved in, in, in these processes in a real deep and intentional way. And since the utility is not being intentional about it, you know, it just it does really force 
those of us who are stakeholders and community development organizations and, and of the sort to, to really get our eyes and, and our capacity around this issue. And so what we see are a couple of things. We see, you know, this whole procedural justice issue. So we we experience now the 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 the, the process of uh, changing the schedule and derailing progress with attempts to to move scheduling around. We found that pretty interesting. Um, we we the, the marginalization in terms of I'll talk to you, but I won't talk to them and those sort of experiences that are also you know just reflections of different types of inequities in the process as well unfold and a little bit of pitting. Um, the interveners against one another. And then the biggest one though that, that that we see and we track and we don't necessarily have any control over is, is message framing. And so this whole thing about who controls the narrative is just, it's probably the highest priority in terms of how this all unfolds and rolls out because that's a, in large part, basically in my opinion, the, the, a huge part of the educational component for all of us, you know, as citizens and, and ratepayers. But I think overall, what, what we see is that, you know, the utility um, sh shows weakness to the public and strength to its shareholders. And, you know, it's a lot of different conflicts in, in sort of um, how they talk and who they talk to. And it's, and it's not uh, really a, a succinct message. And so you just, again, with that understanding and then also any sort of um, analysis of their historical track record, we just know that you know it's a ton of inequity baked in the current system that it, it would be really hard to quantify and, and account for. So they should really be encouraged to start down this path of, of practicing equity in the space because you know it's a real price for 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 not starting. And so they just as they have to make these other economic forecasts, this should be factored in the price of not beginning. And because they can't quantify that, it's a pretty risky measure on their part, quite honestly, understanding the trajectory of where everything going with decarbonization and whatnot. And so you can only expect more public participation as we go forward from across the state, from across communities, because this is, this is, not, a, this is not a race initiative, this is an equity initiative. And so because of that, I think that you know, the, I don't want to be flippant, but the gig is up. And so it's a real big opportunity for them to 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 get in line and 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 lock arms and and carve out a path forward because that also this this ideal about gradualism that we're learning about, that's okay, that's fine. But what we see is an increase in the frequency of of things to be decided on and decisions to be made. So that gradualism can scale up too. And so all of the things that they have around the moat and the barriers that they're putting up and those things are gonna come with a cost and they paid these costs before and these things will emerge again. And so we yeah. just stand ready now as we're growing in it with the rest of you all to, to yeah. keep pressing forward. And they're using our money because they get a, a guaranteed 10% profit to fund this attempt they're controlling, they're doing it too slow, the climate transition, plus they're trying to control it to make it more profitable and expensive and not like people have, say, their own rooftop solar or be more energy efficient and need less we energy's energy, right? Um, and so it's amazing that, that I think we've set the agenda, Antonio, in that the differential burden on people has never been in newspaper coverage or anything. Now it's in all of it. And I think We Energies is reeling a bit, though they have very slick communicators like Brendan Conway who came to our event. It seems to me that if you think about their 10% profit, uh, which, you know, and I, I think Cub is a good organization, but they just want to be 9%. I don't know why they should have a 9% guaranteed profit. I'll say this. I think their profit should be predicated on doing a real climate transition that helps everyone and on making it affordable for everyone. In other words, they can't get their profit unless the energy burden is below, most people think it has to be below 6%. 6 I mean, that's hard at 5%, but if it's 6% or higher, it's just unaffordable, right? Mm -hmm. And set that, they don't want that. They've set up the system, Antonio, right, where they get, they, Heads they win, tails they win, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, exactly, and so yeah, definitely pay for performance models and and models that have some sort of uh, uh, 
whole sort of uh, managed um, uh, evaluation and, and tracking associated with it, all of those things around accountability are, are, are going to be the order of the day. And so how we get to them, we will get to them gradually, but that is exactly what will emerge. And so there's a lot of track record across the country from other utilities that that may have the same um, sentiment, you know, or financial sentiment as we energies, but they've taken some intentional steps around equity. And because that exists and those models exist, similar to what you just said, the awareness around those will exist and grow as well. And so there'll be a, there'll be these the times to come, and I, I guess we're in them now as we discuss this moment where where these things will come to bear. And I think uh, to your point, uh, where we are now, it's just sort of, it's no turning back for we energies or or for us all as ratepayers. And um, I know we have to close out that by saying it was precious at the rally we had, uh, where the the we energies com director Brendan Conway came to our event to talk to the media alone. And then he debated you and you really get on the side after our event and you really gave him a piece of your mind. Uh, so I thought that was great. But uh, I know I we appreciate have to go. that. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I, all I said was process over. Pro all I said was process over product. I said impacted community has to be a part of the solutions. And then I also said that none of the numbers are true. They're all forecasts. And so everything has to be ground truth. So no matter what they forecast, we know that it's just guidance and that it's yet to be determined. And so we saw that in the first rate, and then we see it in this adjustment, even after they came together with a, a, a majority of the group um, and came out of that process and still increased the rates. So, so yeah, this is going to be good for all of us when it's all said and done. And with that, thank you, Antonio, so much. We really appreciate you taking time to join us. But most of all, really appreciate that your organization, you all have the vision to lead on something as critical as this. Thank you so much. All right, gentlemen, take care. Have a great rest of the week. Thank all right. Thanks, thank Antonio. You. With that, folks, we got to take a break. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. Folks, we're really happy to have back with us our residents now in-house economist, Michael Rosen. And it couldn't be more fitting, uh, Michael, a couple of things yesterday, uh, the big the big news, really, uh, I'll just say there were new, there was new economic news that came out today on jobs, which uh, was was better, which is fascinating. We may not get into that, but if you can mention it, great. But the main reason I had you on is because yesterday, Michael, you were involved with, I think, a couple dozen economists in releasing a report that essentially just devastated uh, Tim Michael's flat tax proposal, which we talked about last week and said is an awful idea. But uh, Dr. Rosen, tell us more. First of all, thanks for coming back and tell us more about um, what, what y'all released yesterday and what are the key most important findings? Well, what we released was actually a report uh, that we had requested and was done by the nonpartisan Legislative Fiscal Bureau. Uh, and where we asked them what would be the impact of a flat tax on the state of Wisconsin's taxpayers and on the budget. And the report came back um, with devastating uh, results, which weren't surprising at all. That's why we asked for the report in the first place. Um, because a flat tax is really uh, an idea that only multimillionaires like Tim Michaels would favor because it increases taxes on the middle class and on the working class and on the working poor while handing the very rich a handsome tax cut. Let me just talk about what we found would happen in Wisconsin. If the flat tax was revenue neutral, and what we mean by that is that we, we established an tax, we got rid of the state income tax and instead replaced it with a single tax rate that all taxpayers paid, but that it still produced the same amount of revenue that was produced by the state income tax. That's what we mean by revenue neutral then it would result in a tax increase for 97% of taxpayers making between $20,000 and $300,000 a year. That would be a tax increase. But the proposal would result in an average tax cut 
of over $22,000 a year for the tax filers who make over $500,000 a year. The other way to put it is that middle class and working class people in this state would be financing a tax cut for the very rich. Now, Michaels has said that he's only interested in a flat tax if it doesn't raise taxes on anybody. So then we we ran the numbers. What would it look like, which would be a tax rate of three point five, four percent. And that's a rate at which no one's taxes would go up, but the result would be a five point five billion dollar hit to the budget, the state budget in the first year and an almost four billion dollar reduction every year after. To put that in perspective, that is seven times as much as what the University of Wisconsin system gets right now. So to have a flat tax at that low rate would mean draconian cuts to K through 12 education, healthcare, environmental protection, technical colleges, University of Wisconsin. Or, and here's the kicker, or it would mean a huge increase in sales and property taxes to finance those services. So any way you cut it, the winners of a flat tax are the very wealthy and the losers are middle class and working class people who would end up either paying the bills or having their the services that they count on, whether it's roads, whether it's bridges, whether it's clean water, whether it's education systems being drastically reduced in this in this state. And so we had uh, economists from the University of Wisconsin-Madison, UWM, Alverno, uh, Marquette, MATC, all sign on to this letter, as well as some nationally prominent economists such as uh, Jamie Galbraith, uh, Dean Baker, uh, and others. And uh, and uh, we've released it, and uh, that's 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 Michael's proposal: uh, tax cuts for the rich, not surprisingly, and tax increases on everybody else. Robert. That's Tim Michaels' proposal, not Michael Rosen's proposal. You said it was Michael's proposal. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, so it seems to me this has been one of these fetishes of the right and the business community, the flat tax. And it'll they, they think it'll surface seem fairer to people and therefore they can smuggle as a Trojan horse more massive tax cuts for wealthy people. Or already gotten most of the, the tax cuts as they gain more and more of the income in this country the last 40 years and this state. Uh, it seems to me that this is like the Ron Johnson uh, thing about putting Social Security and Medicare on the chopping block every year. That is, I would call it, uh, using a legal analogy, a statement against in interest. In other words, this, there, this has no political advantage to say this. It shows their true colors, that this man who appears, according to the Journal Sentinel, to make $10 million a year, right, uh, that he thinks that he should pay even less taxes and we should pay more. And he has now told us that. And the question is whether negative partisanship is so high that, that, that too many people are blinded to what he is actually saying, because he has, you know, I think it's, uh, is it, um, it's either Meyer Angelou or Toni Morrison who says, when people tell you who they are, believe them. Uh, you can tell me which one, or, or I'm, I'm, getting, I'm getting the citation wrong. Anyway, that's what we have here, just like we have with Ron Johnson on Social Security and Medicare. Yeah, the, the thing is that the flat tax has been a goal of billionaires and millionaires in this country uh, for quite a while. You can go back to Steve Forbes in the early 90s. Rebecca Clayfish first raised it in this election. It was it was Rebecca, not Tim Michaels. Uh, but this is a way of cutting the taxes of the very wealthy. Uh, Tim Michaels knows this. 
and of course, making sure that the people that finance their campaigns get big tax cuts so they can continue to finance it. The problem is that a flat tax sounds fair to people because everybody pays the same percent. And people say, oh, that's fair. Uh, it, it, it sounds fair. But when you look at the details, as I've tried to describe, it's not fair at all because people at the high income will have their, making over $500,000 a year, will have their taxes cut and virtually everybody else in the state will have their taxes go up. And so this is a, a horrible proposal. Now, Michaels has not come out with any numbers. The num we deduce these numbers. And in fact, what he said is, I'm going to get the I'm going to get smart people in the room to figure this out. What bothers yeah. me about that is what's crazy about that, frankly, is the guy's running for governor. If, if he wants our vote, anybody's vote, he should have had the smart people in the room already to, and come out and tell us what he's going to do. This, this is like a student telling us, telling me, uh, give me an A and then I'll do the work to secure the A on that exam. Look, the only one who gets an A here, Michael, is you and this and the crew that helped expose his idiotic statement that he was into this flat tax. This is a dumb idea. Uh, people will see through it. And it is outstanding that you were able to make sure that at least there was some good, competent information relevant to the state that he wants to run as to how this will impact. I want to take Robert's well, I was going to thing say, and expand Matt, it a little there... bit more and ask you a question, Michael. Like, I, look, I said the last time we talked about the flat tax, I take this as a serious, how serious he is about his commitment to privatizing public education and that he's going to look to pair uh, something that sounds fair, you know, and, and, and this kind of thing with, revenue that would be cuts around education, but full privatization, uh, which he's very serious about. He has talked about uh, essentially ending public education as we know it. And you'd have to do major things like that on the revenue side in order to make a flat tax remotely even possible. Dr. Rosen, is that is, is that all possible? Again, Robert, let, let's take him at his word, said he wants to end public education. The if if the ta flat tax that he imposes or proposes, I should say, uh, doesn't raise taxes on anybody, it would reduce state revenue, as I said, by four billion a year. Now, what that what that number means, that is 51 percent of what's given to public schools today by the state, 51 percent. So it would gut public school education. It's 102% of what is given for medical assistance and related programs. It's 298% of the University of Wisconsin system. It is 438% of what greater than what's given in shared revenue. It's 709% more than technical college system. I could go through this even more, but what you see is the reduction in revenue to the state of Wisconsin would be so dramatic that he would either have to shut down the prisons, shut down the schools, uh, eliminate shared revenue and the technical colleges. I mean, you can't reduce the revenue by that much and continue to have the state provide the services and the public goods that it provides. It's as simple as that. I, I guess, Michael, the question becomes immediately, what is Robin Voss or the leadership in the legislature willing to stomach? Because quite frankly, uh, if he wins, there's nothing to stop them doing something that is wildly publicly unpopular because they have the ability, they have the legislature and the gerrymandering to do unpopular things that uh, with, say, moderates, but are wildly popular with their base, which seem which they seem to have an obsession with. Right. Um, and I would just say there aren't enough smart people in the room, any room to make this work. It's flat <laughs> earth economics 
And smart, a group of smart people can't make flat earth theory work. They can't make this work. Something would have to give and it would all be awful. Right, right, doctor. Well, the smart person was Michael and everyone else behind this who's helping sound the alarm, folks. Got this information ahead of the election. Don't elect this guy. This is just, just this is a clear sign people, of incompetence. Just to give people some perspective, the, the state that most recently in, imposed a flat tax was Mississippi. Uh, Mississippi, of course, is where Brett Favre has swindled all kinds of money that was supposed to go to poor people, uh, as well as did the governor. Uh, it's also a state that uh, has underfunded education, has underfunded health care, uh, uh, public health care. Uh, hardly a state that we'd want to emulate. And, and, but and Michael is poisoning the majority black state capital of Jackson, right? Yeah, it yeah. Uh, and and the uh, another state that has a flat income tax is Illinois. But for any of you that have gone down to Illinois uh, and bought anything, you know oh. that the way that they've compensated for the lack of revenue in that state coming from the income tax is that they have an extraordinarily high sales tax. And a well, sales and they tax, told the Brusky family mercilessly as we travel in, through their state, including on to food, including on food, <laughs> on groceries. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah like I think the t tax in Chicago, which is additionally is like 10 point. It's it's almost 11 percent. So the only way I mean, you know, you can't make generate revenue out of nowhere. And so the question that really the state should be asking is who has the greatest ability co to contribute to the public welfare and who benefits the most? Who benefits the most from our roads, our bridges, our public schools? I mean, it's the employers who hire the workers who are educated in our technical colleges and our universities, whose trucks carry their goods on, on the roads and uh, who rely on our clean water. Uh, and they have the greatest ability to contribute. Well, I, I once talked to an owner of a uh, small... Uh, manufacturing company um, in Port Washington. And he told me, he said, I'm not like most of my colleagues. I'm happy to pay taxes because when I'm paying taxes, it means I'm making money. And, and that's the conundrum here. People who have the ability to pay don't want to contribute to the public good. And so they want to impose a flat tax that will undermine the public good and cause taxes to rise for other people. Well, Michael, thank you so much for coming on and for uh, also for enlightening and getting this information out, being a part of helping get this out. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. We got to wrap up this show though. Thanks, Michael. Great. Great to be here. Great to see you guys. Have a great weekend. As always folks get out. It's going to be beautiful this weekend. You got to go knock on doors. Remember all those damn polls it's art on turnout and we have a role please get out the vote get busy talk to voters we'll see you next week here at the battleground wisconsin 